Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort, so no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to Tecovas dot com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of the Boneyard. Hope things are well with you or wherever you are today. I think that is uh, that, that's of the utmost importance, is that you are well. And I hope today is a payday for you. I think that is uh, also a big deal for you. So if it is a payday for you, congratulations. Uh, if you are a bi-weekly wage earner, that means it's the third paycheck of the month. How about that? So spend some of that money with our good friends at Campus Bookmark. You know, you know, Stan Ray, Kathy Brown, the whole crew there. They've been there forever. They'll be there forever. They treat you like family because you are family. If you're looking for the latest in maroon and white fashions, and you darn well should be, stop by and visit the fine staff at Campus Bookmark or go online at campusbookmark.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a promo code, BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that will save you shipping on all orders over $50 and any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. A lot to get into today. Our top story, 
Mississippi State wins game one against LSU, 6-5 on Thursday. We're going to break the whole game down. We're going to look a little bit into Mississippi State's matchup tonight with women's basketball with Arizona State. And then Mississippi State had Pro Day on Wednesday. And many of you were probably curious about that. I'll provide some observations, a few notes about all that. But uh, big, 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 big win for Mississippi State last night over LSU. And it's one of those things, too, that there are so many people, I think, that um, we get so wrapped up in the, uh, the the whole egg ball thing, you know, and, and and trust me, it's it's of the utmost importance. But when this comes to college baseball, I think those of us that have been around for 24 hours, we get it. It's, it's the rivalry for Mississippi State is LSU. And if you talk to folks that have been around LSU baseball for a while, they feel the same way about us. And they've had the better of things in this rivalry uh, you know, for some for some time, and you guys know of my, I guess we'll call it my jealousy of the LSU baseball program. Uh, I think that they have uh, they took everything that we did in the 80s and took it to another level. And quite frankly, I believe we should probably have multiple national titles by now. We don't, they do. Uh, but the bottom line is this: right now, if you look at the trajectory of these two programs, Mississippi State's headed up, LSU's kind of headed down. Uh, the LSU the Tigers now. Uh, let me do the math here real quick. I guess they've lost now four of five. Four of the last five. Lose two of three on the road at Georgia last week. Drop a midweek contest to McNeese State. Then lose to Mississippi State last night. Now, a lot has been made about the strike zone last night. One of the things that I'll tell you is sitting up in the press box, we don't get a great view unless we watch the replay, and they don't always have the replay unless there is a borderline pitch. Uh, so those of you that watched at home, might have had a better vantage point than us. And also, also if note too, the uh, the camera, the outfield camera that shoots directly at the plate is a little bit skewed to the right. So there are some balls that that might look like they're right there on the border and they're, they're actually a ball or ball and a half off the plate. But I thought, based on what I saw, I thought the strike zone was pretty inconsistent for both teams. I don't think anybody really gained an advantage there. And if you go read the LSU message boards and social media today, they they feel like they didn't get the benefit of some calls. Uh, The bottom line is this. Antoine DePlantis walks early in the ballgame. On a borderline pitch, honestly, I thought it was a little bit low. I thought Skelton did a great job trying, trying to frame the pitch up and get a strike for his pitcher. And that's one of the things where... When I, when I look at Dustin Skelton, who I believe is the most improved player on the Mississippi State baseball team, I always feel like it was in him. I know that sometimes our fans got down on him last year, but I don't know that Mississippi State wins a region last year without Dustin Skelton. But all that being said, Dustin Skelton frames up pitches as well as anybody. He, he gets it. This guy's a veteran catcher. And so he tried to get his pitcher a strike there, and, and Ethan Small was absolutely – uh, dominant last night. Didn't go as long as usual, and it's probably smart because uh, we're working on one day's uh, less rest. Because, you know, ordinarily he's the Friday night guy and throwing on Thursday, so they, they lose one day of rest. But uh, he was outstanding. And people forget, you know, Ethan beat LSU last year in Baton Rouge. He goes down there and, uh, I believe, won eight innings, had nine strikeouts. You know, he surpassed the strikeout total, but not the innings pitch last night. But uh, DePlantis walks, and then uh, we elevate a pitch, and, uh, Cabrera hits it out, and he he is their guy. I mean, if if, if that's the thing about LSU, if you can navigate through three, four, five with them, and it's kind of the same with everybody. But if you really get beyond their five-hole hitter, LSU is not what they ordinarily have been in the bottom half of that order. And so, Cabrera hurts you early. 
it didn't seem like there was any panic in the stadium. I think a lot of people have kind of learned to uh, to appreciate the fact that this this Mississippi State team will find a way to answer. That they're not going to lay down. That's uh, just not in their DNA. And so State comes back and uh, mounts a rally there in the uh, in the third inning. Uh, and what can we say, you know, about Justin Foscue? Absolutely incredible night last night. Talked to him in a post game. First time in his life he's hit two home runs in a game. And you can go watch that video. As a matter of fact, I'm really proud of our coverage from last night. Um, just to kind of show you, we talked about the tra- trajectory of the programs. If you go over to the LSU website on the, our network, there is one story about the Mississippi State LSU baseball game last night. One story, and it is basically the media relations release. They copied and pasted the release. Now, LSU has primarily been a football school over the years with a little bit of a baseball um, you know, significance as well. Obviously, they won some national championships. But the fact that that just kind of is a microcosm in my mind about their feelings about their season. That there's one story, not even not a column, not a recap, other than the, the media relations release. They didn't send anybody up here. They didn't staff the the the, uh, the ball game. And then we have we have a photo gallery. We have three vid- we have three videos and the gamer. And so five stories from us. And uh, we cover road baseball too. Yours truly on the road. Matter of fact, I'll be in Knoxville next weekend. Uh, but uh, Justin Foscue, big, big ball game. And uh, that, that inning, it was one of those things where you just kind of looked at it and said, okay, we just kind of need, if we could get something going here. Mangum, of course, gets on base. Foscue comes up with two men on after the Magnum walk and uh, absolutely torches one deep in the left field lounge. There's nothing cheap about it. He absolutely smokes it. And then it's 3-2, and it just kind of felt like all was right in the world. With the way Small was pitching, he had kind of overcome the one mistake he made early in the ball game. And yes, he you know, got the benefit of a bit of a tight, I mean, pardon me, the uh, the detriment of a tight zone early. But uh, makes one mistake, overcomes that. State's got a 3-2 lead. Then we kind of begin to tack on there. Pick up one and fourth, then back-to-back jacks in the fifth. Magnamy and Foscue. And that one that Magnamy hit, I mean, <laughs> You talk about a moonshot, my word. And then, of course, they want to review that. And listen, I don't blame Maneri for coming out wanting to review that. That's a ball down the line. And, uh, you know, from his vantage point, I'm sure he was kind of putting some body English and hoping to kind of push it foul. The replay that we saw, I, I didn't even see the baseball. Once it left the infield, that thing was on, you know, such a launch angle. I, I don't know where the thing landed. There was a question in the postgame, did that ball leave the ballpark? And, and I think it probably did. Uh, but I know that I saw people out there immediately in left field signaling fair ball. Uh, so the umpires were right on it. I don't think there was anything on the review significant enough to change it because I don't know how you review that. I mean, what do you, what do, you do when the ball disappears into the start of the night? I mean, you just call it a home run and be done with it. And, and if the call had gone the other way, if that had been called foul, I don't know if you could have overturned it. So they stick with the, you know, with the call on the field. And it just kind of seemed like it was going to be state's night. You're, you're up, you know, five to two. You have six. Pardon me, six two. You've chased uh, Hess from the ball game, and Hess has been a monster against Mississippi State in his career. I was really hoping he would go ahead and turn pro. And uh, I understand he doesn't want to be a reliever. Came back to kind of improve his draft stock as a uh, starter. He's now two and two uh, on the year. But it just kind of felt like. Manarig and LSU got caught watching the game rather than managing the game. And what I mean by that is, 
you're coming out and you're arguing balls and strikes and you're coming out asking for the review and, and, and that's part of your job as a manager. But when, when Hess took the mound uh, in the fifth inning, he was already in the 80s and they had nobody warming in the pen. And I, and I turned to, uh, to Ben Portnoy, the new uh, Columbus Dispatch writer, and I turned to Brian Haydad and I said, you know, it just seems weird to me with the way that, uh, that State has swung the bats and kind of barreled things up when he's already approaching, you know, the mid-80s, why wouldn't they have somebody in the bullpen? Well, then they didn't, and then next thing you know, State hits those back-to-back jacks, and then right behind it, you got Dustin Skelton dumping ball in there, and it just, it just seemed like the train kept rolling. So, uh, you know, Trent Vietmeyer goes out there, and I bet he didn't have 10 warm-up pitches, and he's on the mound. So he essentially had to warm up on the mound, and it, it looked like State had a chance to blow the inning open. And to Trent's credit, he was outstanding. Goes three and two-thirds of an inning, of hitless relief against Mississippi State. And, again, that's, this is an offensive train that has absolutely just steamrolled people here as of late. So Trent comes in and kind of keeps State off balance. We never really managed to get a lot going. He did walk three hitters, including the first guy that he faced. But uh, with the game kind of held in place there, LSU had a chance to kind of start tacking away. And you guys are aware in that uh, in that eighth inning, they put together uh, – you know, they, they get back-to-back doubles, I guess, and put a run on the board. And then they get two, three uh, – two – Pardon me. Two two out hits. And the next thing you know, there's three runs home, and uh, it was really really dicey at Duty Noble for a while. You bring in Cole Gordon. He comes in, you know, puts a puts a fire out, and uh, comes back out for the ninth. And I don't know that we've seen Cole look better all year. He had to face uh, what two three four, I guess, uh, in in the order. Absolutely made them look silly. Uh, Zach Watson strikes out looking on a pitch, and uh, it just seemed like that uh, – it just really seemed like Cole had their number. And Antoine DePlantis, you know, gets uh, an infield hit on the shift, and there's some people that are complaining about the shift. Listen, here's my complaint about the shift. I've got no problem with the shift, but you have to pitch into the shift, okay? We're not, we're not going to work Antoine DePlantis away while we have the shift – for a dead pull hitter. If you're going to do that, you've got to pound him inside and make him beat the ball to the right side. You can't pitch away. I mean, it almost be like pitching, you're putting a shift on against Jank Mangum and then pitching him away because Mangum and DePlantis, they have built a college career on going backside. And so DePlantis, he nearly poked that ball in the left field. And then with all the talk about, well, you know, we had the shift and we, we didn't field it good and we, we, the throw brings him off the bag. If he pokes that ball to left past Foscue, it's a double. And then all of a sudden, the tying run is at second with less than two outs. But that's not what happens. Foscue is able to corral it, makes the throw over there. We don't get him. And then I thought Cole Gordon did a great job of keeping him close. And then probably the biggest pitch of the night on a 1-2 count, uh, he throws a two-seam fastball right on the right on the hands of Daniel Cabrera. And Cabrera takes the pitch for a called strike three. Unbelievable pitch right there. I cannot believe he took that pitch. And while he is just a sophomore, Daniel Cabrera is a rising star in this league. He is LSU's guy. DePlantis is a table setter. Cabrera is their RBI guy. He is their monster. And for him to take that pitch in that situation was just absolutely flabbergasting to me. And I even asked Cole in the postgame, and you can go watch that video on Gene's page for free right now. Were you surprised he took it? And, and he kind of admitted, yeah, I, I, I was. Because I think the, the whole mindset there is you've got a runner at first with one down, 
And so you're one two. You bust him in there on his hands, especially with a two seam fastball, because Gordon gets great sink on his pitches. That's going to be a ground ball right to the middle infield. It's probably going to be a, an, a game-ending double play there. But instead, Cabrera takes the pitch, and uh, it's just amazing to me. And so then with Giovanni Diacomo up there, they elect to steal, and uh, DePlantis is not that fleet of foot. It's one of those things like, and I mentioned on Twitter, it was just bad baseball, and I had some people that you know, wanted to debate the issue. Listen, it's bad baseball. Okay, listen, I understand fundamentally. I understand the concept. I coached high school baseball. I mean, I'm not, I'm not some legend by any stretch of imagination, but I understand the game, okay? I've sired a college baseball player on top of that. But my point being is that when you have a guy that is not that fleet of foot and you have a guy, Cole Gordon, up there who's already picked somebody off to, to close out a ball game, he's got a good enough move to first to keep you close. Why do you take the bat out of your, your, your guy's hands there? It makes no sense to me. And it's not like, uh, you know, Diacomo was just struggling all night. Uh, he did have one hit. He, he did have a couple strikeouts on top of that. But uh, the bottom line is, is that that guy's hitting five on your order for a reason. Uh, Antoine DePlantis did not get a good jump. Uh, Dustin Skelton looked like he, he was in the LSU dugout, as they called the play. If you go back and watch the replay, and I've tweeted it today. You can go watch it. It's just outstanding placement by Dustin Skelton. It's incredible. It, it goes to show you how far ahead he was on that play. He he go ahead, he motions outside, kind of sets up on the outer half, calls a two-seam fastball, so you know you're going to get the action tailing away from the hitter. So even if he swings through right there to protect the runner, Skelton's going to get a clean look at it. He comes up and probably throws the best ball he's thrown to second base all year long. If you saw the TV replay, Westberg catches that ball before DePlantis is even on your TV screen, gets the tag down. It was not close. Uh, among the among the better throws I've seen from Dustin Skelton, uh, but you go back and you look at that and you begin to think, okay, how did they even get in this situation to begin with? You know, if you go back to that uh, that eighth inning, State, you know, kind of struggled a little bit to 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 put hitters away with all those lefties in the lineup. You know, Jared Leibelt gave you everything he had, but um, you know, it's just one of those things where wasn't a great matchup for him. I think they kind of stuck with it a little bit long, and, and he had some pitches that kind of caught too much of the plate. Uh, but but all in all, a good effort by the bullpen. Uh, Tristan Barlow comes in. Uh, he, he's absolutely filthy against left-handers, and I felt like he would play a big role. He uh, threw 27 pitches last night, so I wouldn't rule out maybe seeing an inning or so from him on Saturday. I wouldn't expect him to see him. And 27, you know, that's that's not a lot of pitches, but for a guy that, that doesn't throw more than an inning or two a ball game, that might be a bit of a stretch. But with all those lefties in the LSU lineup, left-handed hitters are going to be, you know, left-handed pitchers are going to be at a premium this weekend. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons Ethan Small was so effective. LSU has really struggled. I had, to, had somebody tell me before the ball game they didn't have not beat a left-handed pitcher all year. And that's usually the case when you've got so many left-handed guys in your lineup. Uh, but Ethan Small, five innings pitch, allows two runs on three hits. Does have four walks, and that's up a little bit for him. Ten strikeouts, um, 89 pitches. Uh, so right about what we expected him to be. You would have liked to have gone an inning longer, but I think working on short rest, it, it kind of makes sense to go ahead and get him out there. Uh, but by and large, State's got a lot of people left. And I've read some of these things on social media. People said, oh, we used too many pitchers. Uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever night it was, or Tuesday when we had the non-conference game. Listen, there's nobody that pitched in that ball game on Tuesday that is out, maybe the exception of Peyton Plumley. Okay? And then Peyton could probably come back and throw an in and two on Saturday if you needed him to. Uh, 
And so let's let's kind of move on from that. Okay, these guys are resilient. They, they work arm care. They've got some of the best uh, people in the country kind of looking after them. But uh, nobody pitched themselves out of uh, availability this weekend. And so we'll go play a ball game again tonight. And it's huge, huge ball game because here's the deal. LSU is going to figure it out. If you if you know anything about Southeastern Conference baseball, you know that Palmineri will figure this thing out. They they they'll get the pitching part of it handled. And there there's too many hitters in that lineup for them to stay down. And I think State is getting them at a good time. And I've said that three weekends in a row. Florida's a young team with a bunch of freshmen. They're going to figure it out. My hope is they figure it out this weekend. Then Auburn is a team that, uh, you know, State catches at a great time where they've got a couple of their, their power arms that are down. And then all of a sudden you, you get an LSU offense is slumping. And so it's it's not just about who you play, but when you play them. Because at the end of the year, nobody comes back and says, well, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, you guys won two out of three against Auburn, but we're not going to give you that regional bid because they were missing a pitcher. doesn't matter. It, it All that counts is what happens in the box score, what the final score is. And so you have to have some luck along the way. And how many times at Mississippi State have we gone out there and had to pitch? Because, you know, a couple of years ago, we go to Super regional, Regionals and we had, what, six pitchers available? Nobody felt sorry for us then. Nobody said, hey, we'll only take two outs in an inning to give Mississippi State a chance. Nobody feels sorry for Mississippi State. And I don't feel sorry for any of those other people either. It doesn't matter to me that they're inexperienced. It doesn't matter to me that they have injuries. That's part of the game. That's part of the deal. And so Mississippi State will go out tonight. JT Ginn will pitch. And it'll be interesting to see what Ginn does against all those left-handers in the lineup. He has been absolutely filthy this year. But he's going to face probably five left-handers in the LSU lineup. Uh, and I wonder how effective that slider will be, you know, that, that front door slider he has. That, that'll be awfully interesting to see kind of how he pitches against these guys. I, I expect a competitive ball game. Cole Henry has worked his way into the starting rotation for LSU. He's a freshman right-hander. They're really high on him. Uh, he, he had his best outing of the year last weekend against Georgia in a loss, but it uh, wasn't his fault. He goes eight innings, uh, two runs, two hits, struck out eight or nine, only walked one. So he doesn't give you a whole lot. So it'll be interesting to see. This is a battle of two you know, future phenoms in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, but if I'm, if I'm picking today, I'm taking a 6-0 JT Ginn over the 1-1 Cole uh, Henry. So that'll be a big ball game. First pitch on the SEC Network, 6 p.m. Hopefully you guys can turn in. I want to remind you, when you're in, camp, when you're in town's Bulldog Burger Company is absolutely the way to go. Many of you need to go ahead and make your plans when you're here next time to go by and uh, visit with those folks. I've shared this with you guys here as recently. Just so you know, Bulldog Burger Company is part of a great family of restaurants here in Starkville. We're talking restaurateurs that are committed to Starkville, Mississippi. They're committed to Mississippi State. So you're doing business with Bulldogs. It's not called Bulldog Burger Company just for the fun of it. These people are Mississippi State people through and through. So come through, support them. I had a text just last night. said, hey, Steve, I've been listening to the show for many years. I went by and had the pimentology with bacon. It's absolutely outstanding. That is the Boneyard Burger of choice. And so, if, if listen, I had one of those moms, too, that we always had dinner on the ground, you know, dinner on the ground at church on Sundays, and she would always make those pimento and cheese sandwiches, and I hated them. I didn't like pimento and cheese sandwiches. I still don't like pimento and cheese sandwiches, but I love the pimentology hamburger. At Bulldog Burger Company. It's outstanding. Go try it yourself. I'm telling you, I know some people are kind of reluctant saying, well, you know, Steve, I don't really like those pimento and cheese sandwiches. Trust me, you're going to love this one. It's absolutely outstanding. And if you don't like it, you know what? Find some other favorites. Go find your own favorites. So many options to choose from. Great restaurant quality hamburgers right here in Starkville, Bulldog Burger Company, the place in Starkville people go to meet. M E A T. So, 
Mississippi State women will get together and uh, play Arizona State uh, tonight. Mississippi State played them two years ago down in Cancun. That's the, We're 1-1 one one all-time against them. Uh, one down there, I believe that was a 67, or pardon me, 65-57 game back in November down in Cancun, Mexico. Last time we've gotten together. Both times we played, it's been on a neutral side. So this will be our third time kind of getting together. They're an interesting team, to say the least. This is a team that is capable of beating Mississippi State. Now, I want people to understand, on paper, Mississippi State is a much better team than Arizona State. But Arizona State has kind of found some things late. And my, my the thing that I worry the most about is looking ahead to Oregon because I think that is the motivational piece, and I, I've shared it on the show before, that Vic Schaefer needed to keep this team focused. You get through this one, you get the one you really want. You get that regional final, then you get to come home for a couple days, okay? Arizona State is only focused on Mississippi State. Not saying that our team is distracted, but you understand my point. Arizona State got up that first day of travel, and they were all they were thinking about was Mississippi State. It, oh, Mississippi State can only be human to think, okay, we get a chance at redemption against Oregon. I will say, Vic Schaefer did a great job in the SEC tournament, keeping those ladies locked in. You have a veteran team with seniors. Uh, so I expect State to go out and play well. If it is a little bit dicey in the first quarter, don't be surprised. That's part of the deal. But I expect a big ball game. Let's run through some notes here, courtesy of our good friend uh, Brian Ogden, who has done unbelievable work for Mississippi State this year. Uh, Brian steps in after our good friend uh, Brock Turnipseed kind of relinquishes the position there basically as women's basketball SID. Brian's that uh, young, handsome, blonde-headed gentleman you see uh, sitting courtside uh, with Vic Schaefer many times in postgame. Uh, Brian, very, very good at his job, very, very excited about his future. A few notes that Brian sent to us. Um, MSU's playing in a Sweet 16 fourth consecutive year. You kind of knew that, right? But should State win this and go to the Elite Eight for the third straight year, there will be just the 15th program to put together such a streak. That's that's, that's pretty cool there. Uh, Vic Schaefer has won 193 games in his seven years at Mississippi State. Just so you're aware of that, just to kind of put that in context, that is more then Muffet McGraw, Kim Mulkey, and Gino all won in their first seven years at their current schools. So Vic is on a better pace and a higher trajectory than three of the best coaches in the country. We, we talk about rarefied air, talking about how we've never had it so good. This is it right here. State will enter the ball game as the nation's number two scoring offense. MSU also allowing just 57.5 points a game. State just, you know, that's that's why that scoring margin is what it is. And State leads the nation in scoring margin at plus 29.1. Not only is State beating people, State's beating people up. Uh, so it's one of those deals when you look at the, this team and you begin to think about how dominant they've been. I think the one statistic that kind of stands out to me, and I, and I was not aware of this, and I was kind of curious about it, but Brian shares this. Mississippi State has played 1,360 minutes of women's basketball this year. Mississippi State has led 1,253 of those minutes. Think about that. Think about that. State has pretty much led start to finish in just about every game this year. And remember, they lost a couple games too. (laughs) 
107 minutes Mississippi State has trailed out of 1,360 minutes. You talk about dominant. And, and remember, State kind of chased the game against Oregon and then got behind against Missouri. And so a lot of those minutes are in those two losses. And so it's one of those things, if State gets out early, they generally win the ball game. That is a phenomenal statistic. Phenomenal. Mississippi State's broke last year's record of four 100-point efforts in a single year with eight this year. Eight. And you know what they did to Southern in the NCAA Regional Tournament. So uh, it's one of those deals where uh, if Tierra McCowan comes out and uh, and State gets good officiating. And listen, there's not a lot of good officiating in women's basketball. And I don't say that to be negative about the sport. I say that to be negative about the commitment to ensure that there's a good game. Because uh, some of these officials, and, and it's the same pool of people, but I really thought last weekend – with the exception of uh, about a four or five minute stretch there, they let the, the teams play in the tournament. If they let Mississippi State play the next two week, the next two games, if, if, if they're able to play against Arizona State and be able to play against Oregon and not have a whistle fest, State's going to win both of those games handily. And State's going to advance to the Final Four again. Then we'll see what happens with Baylor if we're both fortunate enough to get there. But nobody in the country with the exception of maybe maybe Baylor, has an answer for Tierra McCowan. No, and nobody has a player like Tierra McCowan, including Baylor. I also know there's a little bit of a personal rivalry between uh, Tierra and, and, uh, and Kalani Brown. So that is the matchup I think women's college basketball wants to see. I think Mississippi State can take down Baylor. I think Mississippi State can get back to the national championship game. And I, don't, I don't know if we felt that way a year ago. But now here we are, four wins away from a national championship, and you begin to look at this and think, okay, we, we've, we've got a real chance here. And, and nobody's easy this time of year, but the game with the lowest degree of difficulty is the one we're going to play tonight. Arizona State, a 5C, 22-10 overall, 10-7 in the Pac-12. This will be the eighth-ranked team that State plays all year. Arizona State knocked off number four, Miami. 57-55 in uh, kind of a weird game. I mean, it's one of those things where Arizona State hung in there and hung in there and hung in there, and then Miami fouls with five seconds to go. Arizona State makes the free throws. Miami misses their uh, their shot to tie it. Uh, so they, you know, they're a team capable of beating Mississippi State. Uh, they're another team that's uh, been very good playing from behind. Another good note here, Sun Devils, uh, scored the final 20 points of the game to erase an 18-point deficit against Utah this year. It's good stuff. So we'll see what happens tonight, but uh, I expect the, the, the next time that we're together will be on Monday, but I expect Mississippi State to win this game. And and I was really, when, I, when this, the brackets came out, I was more worried about State playing Miami than I was Oregon. And now that we're here and Miami's not here, I'm still a little bit worried about Arizona State just because of the uh, – they've got nothing to lose. And uh, I think, you know, we, we still are kind of haunted a little bit by the ghost of uh, missed layups past, trying to get back to a national championship game and win the game. We've got to get there first. But Oregon doesn't scare me. I know some other people out there, that they say, well, you know, they, they beat us, and that's true. And, and I don't know if you remember this. And I think it's important maybe we point some of these things out. And uh, I hate to get ahead of ourselves, but here's the deal. Contrary to what people say on Twitter, uh, you or I don't play or coach in the game. 
so we can get as far ahead of ourselves as we want to. And um, I love the folks, you know, on Facebook or whatever, and on message boards, say, hey, man, we got to stay focused one game at a time. Listen, I don't have to be focused on anything. What I do or say has absolutely you know, no bearing on the game whatsoever. I mean, there's nothing that I can do. I mean, if, if guys, if, if I could have an impact, I would do what I could to help us win. Uh, and and uh, my mental focus has got nothing to do with the uh, with the ball game. And uh, there's so many people out there to get wrapped up in all that and say, well, you know, we we can't be looking ahead talking about the national championship. Well, I'll, I'll talk about it because I understand it. I understand that it's got nothing to do with me. Now, as far as attendance goes, yeah. That sort of stuff. Be there, cheer loud, do a good job. In that ball game in Eugene, nearly 9,000 people attended a ball game. We're familiar with big crowds. They win the ball game 82-74. Let's run down some numbers here. Andrew Howard was outstanding in that game, 30 points. Do you know how many points Tierra McCowan had? Five points. Five points. 11 rebounds, five points. Now, some of that had to do with how Oregon was defending Mississippi State, but a lot more of that had to do with how Tierra McCowan felt. Uh, Tierra goes 34 minutes, just wasn't into it. The cross-country flight kind of got the better of her. If you know anything about T, you know what a competitor she is. Given the opportunity to play Oregon again, you will see a much improved stat line in that ball game. Eager to see it all happen. I also thought that Inesco kind of got the better of our guards at times. So we'll have an opportunity to kind of challenge them for sure. Jordan Danbury fouled out in the ball game. Andrea Howard fouled out late in the ball game. You know, she was kind of our only offense late. Uh, but it's one of those things State whistled for 19 fouls on the night. 19. Oregon for 16, so it wasn't a, you know, a, a wide disparity there. But, uh, you know, State loses basically three starters because Tierra McCowan just wasn't into it. And Dansbury and, and, and Andrea Howard fell out, and there just wasn't a lot of offensive options down the stretch, and they played pull away late. That's the reality of things. Knowing what I know about Vic Schaefer, knowing what I know about this program and this team, given a second chance, they'll win the ball game. That's exactly how I feel about it. I don't think there's any question. Because if you go back and you watch that game, I know many people don't want to do that. I still have it on the DVR. The Oregon did a great job getting out and running and trying to get to the rim before State could set up the half-court defense. That's kind of been the, the, the modus operandi for a lot of people this year. They don't want to deal with Tierra and half-court sets. They find a way to get down there and try to get a you know quick basket. And you know what? Those baskets count. But what happens is you begin to kind of wear yourself out. But in this ball game, State wasn't at their best. So now State's got to handle Arizona State to get back to that revenge game. And so we're excited to see what happens tonight. Those of you that uh, – I know many of you that won't get an opportunity to come to the baseball game, people will be uh, kind of double-dipping, you know. You can watch the maybe the game on the app or have TV two TVs set up, whatever. Uh, the Mississippi State baseball game will begin at 6. The women will start playing, I guess, at 8 tonight. Big day. Program-defining type moments. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like we can have an opportunity to go win 2 out of 3 against LSU and possibly get a sweep. But uh, tonight's big because the baseball schedule for State, you know, the, the first half's kind of loaded. You know, a lot of people were, you know, Florida was picked second in the East, and some people kind of had them as a, a trending team it's top 10 potential sec championship contender 
Auburn, of course, with a loud sweep of Tennessee that first weekend. They come in, you win that series. LSU was preseason number one in some polls, right? And so if you're able to get navigate through this, that's three teams that you expect to be in NCAA region, probably three teams that'll 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 likely host. And so if you can get through these guys and kind of get a little deeper in the season, you've already got some some pretty tough things in the rearview mirror. Same thing with, with this women's basketball thing. If you can get through today, you can survive for one more round and get to Oregon. I don't think motivation is going to be a factor. Then you win that regional final and you come home and you got a couple of days to kind of regroup and get ready for what's next. So the task at hand is to go beat LSU tonight and go beat Arizona State tonight. So we had that pro day on Wednesday, and uh, it's always so great. It's so much fun to go watch pro day. And for many of us, for those of us that, uh, that cover the team, it's really the last time that we're ever going to see these guys at an official function. And I uh, had a chance to kind of reminisce a minute or two with, uh, with Nick Fitzgerald. And uh, I remember when he went to camp at Mississippi State, and we kind of talked about that. He goes, yeah, it seemed like just yesterday I was running my 40 in here and throwing some passes in front of Coach Mullen and Brett Elliott. And, uh, and now here it is, you know, a few years later, and I'm working out in front of NFL scouts. And uh, it just shows how far that he has come. And uh, he shared a funny story because uh, Dave Murray had brought up about one of the first reps that he saw is when Nick threw a pass. Because people forget that you know Nick was pretty much second string in bowl, in bowl practices right out of Richmond high, high School because of all the injuries, right? Remember that? <laughs> Everybody was all beat up. And so Nick comes in, and, and uh, Besky's running second team, and he made a great pass and split two defenders. And uh, Murray's like, I think that was the first pass you threw. And, and Nick says, no, no, I remember my very first rep. He said, very first rep, he threw the pass to absolutely the wrong guy. He said they had gone through the progression and said, here's what we want to do. This is your this is your first read, your second read. And Nick threw to some guy that he wasn't even really involved in the play. And he said, <laughs> very first mistake he makes. And Dan Mullen's talking back there behind uh, with, with Brian Johnson and says, you know what, maybe we, uh, maybe we recruited the wrong kid. And uh, it's funny. You know, of course, that's just Dan's way of motivating. That's just classic Dan Mullen. Uh, but Nick responds from that, and Nick can laugh about it now. But it's one of those things when you begin to look at where these guys have come from and where they are now, and they came in here with high school players with a dream, hoping for an offer and an opportunity to prove themselves. And now here they are on the other end of this college career thing, now hoping for another opportunity. And the difference is they don't get a chance to pick their destination. They're hoping to be picked. Uh, it's just kind of a crazy thing. I didn't know this either. Nick Fitzgerald actually attended the Ole Miss camp the day before he came to Mississippi State and earned an offer. And then he went to Middle Tennessee after that, and he'd already committed to go to that camp, and then he kind of got to thinking, what else? What am I waiting around for? Jeff Simmons uh, did not work out, nor was he expected to, but he did decide to go ahead and bench. That was not in the plan. He knocks out 28 reps of 225. And uh, it's just one of those things, being around Jeff. And I had a chance to kind of visit with Jeff and uh, – I think Jeff has gotten enough positive feedback now that uh, he doesn't let the media stuff bother him. But here's the deal. Whenever he is picked, and he will be picked very high, whenever he's picked, all this is going to bubble to the surface again. Every bit of this is going to come up again. That incident is something that will haunt him for the rest of his life. So he has got to find a way to deal with that. I believe he has done that. I believe through his experience at Mississippi State, and the love and support of this coaching staff and his fan base, Jeff has learned to kind of make his peace with all that. I really believe that's the case. 
Jeff Simmons has been an exemplary student-athlete during his time at Mississippi State. Uh, there is a tip of the cap that is necessary for Dr. Mark Keenum, former athletic director Scott Strickland, and former coach Dan Mullen for sticking with Jeffrey Simmons because this incident not consistent with his character. I've belabored that point many, many times, but it is something that it was that will always be attached to Jeff Simmons. But I had a chance to visit with Jeff, and, I, and I'll tell you, Jeff is very excited about the process. He's eager to kind of get it over with. And what I mean by that is he's just ready for the finality of it. He's got some visits coming up. He will visit with several teams in the month of April. I understand from speaking to some people close to him, Jeff has heard from just about every franchise, just about every one. And there are several that want to get him in and visit with him, and they'll do their due diligence. And one of those things about NFL investigators are almost like the KGB, if you know what I'm saying. They they will find everything. If you were ever at a party where somebody had ever been in the building and had uh, a marijuana cigarette, the uh, they're going to know about it. You know what I'm saying? It's like it, like if if there are like some Canadian coins under your couch that you were unaware of, left by like the, the previous tenant, uh, they're going to know about it. And so whoever picks Jeff, they're going to know who Jeff really is. And it's not the person we saw in that video. Talk with Montez Sweat for a while. Tez is another guy that's he's more excited than he is nervous. And uh, he has every right to be because I think Montez understands he is going to be among the first defensive ends taken in the NFL draft. Some of you may or may not know this, but I'll share it with you nonetheless. Is uh, Last year, Montez Sweat considered coming out. And Dan Mullen had a, uh, an NFL scout, I understand from the Pittsburgh Steelers actually, that uh, that's the most prestigious NFL franchise of all time. Save me your tweets. I don't care about New England. Uh, and so Sweat was told, you know what, hey, if you come out as a junior, chances are you're going to be a mid-round pick. You'll get picked because of your length and your closing speed and your ability to rush the passer. But if you come back and duplicate this success one more year, you're going to be a first-rounder. And then now here we are a year later, and he did duplicate the success. He was an All-American, one of the best pass rushers in the country, and now he's projected as a first-rounder. And so when you begin to look at this thing about going to school and staying in school and, and taking it all seriously, Montez Sweat is a, you know, a great point in that argument. He has not changed. And it's crazy to think about. You see these guys in Palmero, and, uh, you know, just a couple months ago, these guys were, uh, you know, eating ramen noodles and, and uh, like all college kids, and kind of working through it and needing somewhere to go eat, trying to find a way to go uh, to go get some, some wings or something. And then here in a few weeks, many of them are going to be millionaires. It's amazing, a transformation, but it's also, too, it's just proof positive of what hard work will get you. Natural ability with hard work equals incredible opportunities. But uh, Tez is at the point now where he's just kind of enjoying life. He had absolutely nothing to prove by coming to Pro Day, but he came anyway and did just about everything. And uh, I don't think he'll ever run a 40-yard dash again the rest of his life. Didn't need to, except when he's uh, maybe picked off a pass and running for an end zone. John Abram, very, very excited. Kind of similar boat with, uh, with Montez. I think John's heard enough positive feedback. He understands He's going to be selected fairly high. It's just a matter of where. They're ready to get to work. Again, there's other guys out there like Braxton Hoyette. Braxton looked better than I have ever seen him. You know, Braxton's always been a big, you know, you know, hulk of a man. 
but he's never been looked impressive physically. If you know what I'm saying, like if you put him up next to Jeff Simmons, uh, which not many people are going to, you know, uh, measure up to Jeff Simmons, but um, you wouldn't even know they played the same, you know, position. But Braxton has really committed himself to the weight room. He looks great. He moved great. I think he's going to have a real opportunity somewhere. I think he, I, whether he gets picked or signed as an undrafted free agent, I think he's a guy that's got a real chance to make a roster somewhere. Number one, he's intelligent. Number two, he makes plays. Outstanding young man, for sure. Uh, Jamal Peters ran better. He did not have a great 40 time at the combine. And a lot of that, too, was because he was nursing a uh, hamstring. Now he's back, ran, ran in four fours. Chris Rayford, the fastest Bulldog. Not, no surprise there. He and Jaquarius Landry, the fastest Bulldogs last year. Rayford is getting a ton of calls from teams about wanting to know his interest level of coming in, being a rotation guy, playing some uh, at nickel, and then uh, being a special teams guy. That's kind of where he has a knack. And remember, you know, Chris Rayford was the guy to Bahia, Louisiana, that, uh, you know, Bahia, Mississippi, pardon me, that, uh, you know, Mississippi State disliked him when he had made the move early. And listen, Mississippi State's gotten their scholarship money and then some out of Chris Rayford. That kid's been a good player for us. He's never been a difference maker as a corner, but he's been very solid as a corner and in most games graded out better than his peers. Because he did his job, he didn't get a lot of balls thrown his way. And uh, as he developed over the last couple of years, he got better defending the fade. That Remember, that was an issue here a couple of years ago when he was kind of thrown into the lineup a little bit before he was ready when uh, Tolando Cleveland tore an ACL and, and uh, Cedric Giles broke an arm. You know, Rayford was thrown out there and had a lot of trouble defending the fade. They got better. But uh, you know he's a guy that we could see making a roster somewhere, certainly. But uh, good numbers for a lot of people. Good numbers took a step forward. You know I really thought Jamal Peters and Mark McLaurin had better junior film. That that's one of the things that people are going to have to kind of reconcile. I think some private workouts will, uh, you know, will address some of that. But I think it's a good chance State has a lot of guys drafted and even more guys go to camp with somebody. So there'll be a lot of things to watch and follow here in OTAs once the NFL gets cranked up. Big numbers for State. A lot of people want to know, well, Steve, if somebody's going to take Nick Fitzgerald, somebody's going to draft Nick Fitzgerald. He's too good of an athlete. I think somebody's going to draft him as a quarterback, as a developmental guy. I think you take him as a late-round pick and, and you work with him and, and see how things go. He's got an NFL arm. It's just a matter of kind of refining the skill set. I don't think they'll need him to go out there and carry the football 20, 25 times a game. Mississippi Stadium fall in spring practice right now, and uh, you can go check out the uh, – we do a daily depth chart. Paul Jones does it for us. We have a daily depth chart over on the site. We'll make that free so you go check it out. One of the things that I have uh, learned talking to some coaches and talking to some staffers is the offensive line situation might even be better this year. Like the we are, we're ahead of where we were last year despite the fact that we're losing two guys, including Deion Calhoun and Elton Jenkins, who both I spoke with, and they're, they're excited. I think Elton's probably a little more comfortable right now than Deion, just because Elton you know, plays that uh, you know, premium position of center. But uh, Deion's going to get picked, too. But, but despite the fact you're losing two interior guys, there just seems to be a lot of confidence about how things are coming together. So Tyree Phillips is going to be your left tackle. Big Stu Reese going to be one of the guards and that's really where he fits we've always known that he's all he's still getting some reps at right tackle but uh, but he's going to play guard 
but he can play right tackle on a pinch. Darrell Williams still holding down the center spot. Uh, Darian Parker, Michael Story battling out for the other guard position. At right tackle, Tim, Tommy Champion and Greg Allen, that's a battle that's pretty close from what I understand. Greg still getting some reps at left tackle too, but uh, Tyree looks to be the guy on that side. And then Champion and, and uh, Allen right there. Allen and, and Champion kind of shared reps last year uh, down the stretch. But uh, we'll see how that all comes together. But talking to Coach Marcus Johnson, he's very pleased with where things are right now. A lot of discussion about Charles Cross how good he is in his pass sets, how good his, fit, his footwork is. And that's that's probably your future left tackle. Probably going to play some this year with the four-game redshirt deal, which is great for people like him. But that's a guy that, you know, we, we've talked about State has really struggled to go get those you know, premium left tackle guys. And now you've got one, and uh, everybody will tell you that in the in the month of practice we've had, he is better than advertised. He is better than we, we we expected him to be. Maybe not as good as we hoped he would be, because I think we, we all hope that he'll be a future first-round draft pick, and, I, and that was our hope, and I believe so far he's living up to those expectations. But a lot of big reports coming out about this Mississippi State offensive line. As you guys know, that's where it all starts. Now, defensively, still some concern about defensive tackle. Kendall, Kendall Jones had a good first couple of days uh, the pack has kind of caught him a little bit since the, since the pads have gone on. Fabian Lovett's going to step up and play well. Lee Autry has been, been good. We feel really good at defensive end, obviously. Uh, Marquis Spencer is going to play outside, but there will be some packages where he'll slide inside. Probably more in that Prowler package on third and 15, third and 16, that sort of stuff. They'll slide him in there just to kind of you know create some, some push and get a pass rush. Linebacker, you know what you're going to get there. I don't think there's any question. I think yeah, that that's, should be a strength for the team this year. That's one of the things I think is important, too, to get some space eaters kind of solidified in that defensive tackle spot so you can keep those guards off your linebackers. Talking with a couple of staffers, they think the secondary has a chance to be better as a group this year than it was last year. That's high praise considering how good state secondary was last year. The one guy that people keep telling me is the most consistent performer in the secondary is Maurice Smitherman. So he never makes the big mistake, doesn't always make the big play, but he always makes the play. He's always around the football, just doesn't give you a whole lot. Uh, that's big news because you know what to expect. You, you feel like you've got a good idea what's going on with Cameron Dantzler. You know, he's a guy that, uh, you know, could be in contention for the Jim Thorpe Award. You have Smitherman on the other side, and then all of a sudden you begin to think about that that the, the safeties out there. You know what you're going to get from Jaquarius Landros. I understand Brian Cole is having the best camp of his Bulldog career, and we need that to happen. And then C.J. Morgan's another guy that uh, you know kind of thrown in the fire last year. And so when you begin to look at those guys, you think we ought to be really good in pass coverage, and you've got some guys that can get downhill in that blitz package. So your starting group's very, very good. Marcus Murphy, you know what you're going to get there. He was supposed to play some at corner, but I believe he's too valuable now at safety. He'll be in a rotation at safety uh, for sure. But I like the way that state coaches are talking right now. Just got to short that defensive tackle spot. That's the one thing we'll be talking about probably for the next six months is defensive tackle. That's where state, if there is a weakness right now, that's it. And it's because you had so many guys leave the program last year. There's a lot of inexperience there. 
We've got some talent. they got to grow up pretty quick, though. We'll be back on Monday. A lot to talk about on Monday. A lot to talk about on Monday. My hope is we're talking about getting ready for a uh, Final Four appearance for the ladies, and we're talking about potentially uh, Mississippi State getting some votes as the first-place team in the country in college baseball. LSU, that's that's still a, uh, pardon the phrase, but a helmet sticker win. That name still carries a lot of weight in college baseball. You can find a way to win that series. Texas swept them earlier. And I, and I honestly believe if State wins game two, if, I believe if we win tonight, we've got a real good chance to pull this thing off. But the bottom line is it's a, it's, it's a one-game-at-a-time deal. We may feel tomorrow differently differently tomorrow. But uh, State going to work hard. Obviously, we'll get a win tonight. And then we'll see what happens. But uh, rarefied air for us, for sure. Really a tribute to Mississippi State Athletics that we're so competitive in all fields of play right now. Look forward to talking to you guys then. Until next time, let's all live our lives. And that way we'll make more friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.